Welcome to the Connected Caroline Show, where each week we talk to founders, entrepreneurs, influencers, authors, and people just like you. And we all believe that mission and money can coexist, and purpose inspires profit. Let's get started. Hi, welcome to the Connected Caroline Show. Today's guest is somebody very special to me. I know I say that a lot, but this particular person is my blood sister, Beth Brasilian. Welcome to the show, Beth. Thank you. Do you have non-blood sisters? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, some people that I've interviewed are like, you know, sisters from another mo mother. But mm -hmm. today I have my real sister here and we're talking about her NGO, which is called HDIF, which stands for Homeland Development Initiative Foundation. And Beth is the executive founder and executive director of the U.S. Division of HDIF, which is um, a, an Armenian-based organization. So Beth, why don't you tell the listeners and viewers all about HDIF and its mission? So um, HDIF, the mission of HDIF in Armenia um, is basically a job creation program. And what we do is we take uh, we, we find women in villages and towns and regional areas of Armenia that are underprivileged and underserved. And um, we find women who either have handicraft talent already, handicraft skills already, or would like to develop handicraft skills to uh, supplement their income, their family's income. And we work with women. Um, so we train them. We work with them in business skills development. Uh, and we give them the tools that they need to be successful cottage industry entrepreneurs. Um, essentially, what HDIF USA does is um, we are also piggybacking on the job creation piece. Um, and we felt that bringing the, the products, the fair trade handicrafts from Armenia to the U.S. was a great way to get the products out of Armenia and into people's hands in the United States, be they within the Armenian community or within the fair trade and real re retail communities here in the U.S. So um, I love how entrepreneurship runs in our family. And um, how long have you been uh, doing HCIF? And also what inspired you to get involved with the organization in the first place? Um, so I founded HCIF USA five years ago. And what inspired me to get involved was I just... I love the mission. The products are beautiful. I really felt that they um, would translate well in the, in the global marketplace um, on an international platform, and they do. Um, and I bought tons of HDIF products and decided, hey, I should probably take this the next step further. And um, I have a lot of experience in nonprofit organizational management nonprofit development. And I just felt like it was a great fit. It was something that I could do here in the United States based here in California, uh, while still keeping uh, a, a strong tie to Armenia and to our homeland. I love it. So who are the, like, give us examples of the types of women. It's women only, correct? It's mostly women. We have a few men here and there doing different, um, uh, making different products or assisting their wives in making products. Or um, in one case, we in Dilly John, we have a couple and they work uh, together in their nonprofit to produce the products that they make. But 
95% are women. And what are the types of women that get involved with this? Not skill-wise, but what are their socioeconomics? Obviously, their socioeconomics, they need to have a, a business of their own. But what are, like, are they women that are aged out of orphanages? Is there, is there like a certain sort of persona of, of women that you um, are working with? We, we work with different kinds of women. I mean, we work with women who uh, are leaders in their communities uh, who run women's resource centers and they're able to bring together a group of women to produce products. We work with women who are single mothers. We work with women who are um, domestic violence survivors. Uh, we work with women who have children with severe disabilities. Um, so we work with a, a, a large variety of women, but the common factor is that they're living in pretty disadvantaged communities and they desperately need supplemental income to support their families. So the, the money that they make from making these handicrafts, most of the money they make goes towards their kids' education, be it you know um, elementary school, high school. Uh, a lot of a lot of our producers have sent their children to college and university using this money, um, and so you know this is we really see this as a way to, in a small way, develop growth in areas that don't necessarily get a lot of attention. And since you've been with the organization, have you seen little villages that have like really obviously benefited from this? And like, what give give an example of the success stories that you've seen just being involved with the organization as long as you have? We, I mean, there are so many success stories. It's hard to really, you know, identify any, you know, just one. I mean, one success story, for example, would be a disabled woman in a very remote part of Armenia, close to the Georgian border. Uh, she is disabled. She's confined to a wheelchair. Uh, her name is Manushak, and um, she is an expert knitter. So, so, so we engaged her in HDIF and in our program, and helped her helped her build up a, a small team of women in her area. Uh, and they work together and they really seriously need the income to support their families. But for Manushag, uh, there's such discrimination against people with disabilities in Armenia that this was, this was an outlet for her that no one else would give her. This was a chance to build a business that no one else would give her. Um, and, you know, and also the women with children with disabilities. I mean, you know, their income is, is critical to being able to afford equipment and different things that they need in their home to support their child's development. And then again, you know, I, like I said before, there are uh, a lot of women that use their income to make sure that their kids can go to, the, to Yerevan, to the capital city to study. And without that income, their children would not have any opportunity for higher education. So good, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> so proud of you. Um, so what's your background? You said that you had, a, I, you know, you have experience in nonprofits. And so talk a little bit about your evolution to get to be working with HDIF. Oh, my gosh. I mean, back when I was in grad school, I worked for um, a nonprofit like political action organization. And I did public relations for them. And then I moved on to uh, working with junior, junior achievement 
and I did public relations and uh, board management and nonprofit management and specifically grant writing. Um, and I've always been engaged with nonprofits, be it with our school kids' schools foundations, act, you know, be, being actively involved with that as say the, the VP of marketing um, or different church organizations. And, and I've always been part, you know, integrated into the nonprofit sector. So um, with all of my experience, starting HDIF USA was actually not easy, but not something where I had a huge learning curve. Um, so it just made sense for me to go in that direction. So the tag to my podcast is um, passion inspires purpose and money and or mission and money can coexist. So are you also making a, a decent living by, by being involved with this organization? I know that nonprofits and NGOs, typically it's not like you don't go into it for that, but I mean, is this also something where you feel like you're making the right kind of money for the right kind of, for the effort that you're putting in? Cause that's important to the listener to like, know that, I mean, you're super passionate about what you're doing and, are you also, you know, able to, you know, survive, add it to your other income to, you know, supplement it? So the simple answer to that is no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, starting a nonprofit is uh, not for the faint of heart. Um, and it's not for somebody looking for income on uh, immediate, you know, immediate income. Mm-hmm. Um so I put in um, some startup money to get the organization off its feet, and um, I'm still getting paid back that startup money. Um, you know, starting like I said, a nonprofit, it, the first three years is almost, you know, zero, zero movement. I mean, it really takes patience to to um, build a nonprofit into something that is a money maker, and we don't have any grants or anything, which um, you know, we, we probably could, could look for, but at this point, I kind of, uh, I kind of like having no one sort of hanging, nothing hanging over me in terms of decision-making. I have a fantastic board of directors that's based here in the U S. Um, and, you know, and we all work together and right now we're, you know, I'm working as a volunteer, um, because, uh, I want to get paid back the money that I put into it. And then I probably will, from that point, we'll start taking something small, you know, as, as a payment for my services, for my, my work. But, um, you know, I, I say to people all the time, if you want to start an HDIF in France, or you want to start HDIF in Germany and, and, and follow the model that I've built for HDIF USA, the first thing you need to realize is you need to put your own money into it. So it's bootstrapped completely um, by by you, which, like you said, there's no um, you know other other entity that you need to answer to in terms of sales and and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, any any startup that bootstraps, it's it's could be five you know five years before you actually see a profit, but you do it because you believe in it. And that's that passion part. Eventually it'll, it'll turn a profit. And, you know, not that that's the only, you know, that that's the most important thing, but it is part of having a a business is to have a little, you know, earn income. And obviously in a nonprofit NGO situation, it's not as, um, I mean, you, 
you went into it with your eyes open. And that actually leads me to my next question. Did you approach them about starting HGIF USA or did they come to you and say, hey, we want to expand um, into the United States? Is, is it any, is, are there any HDIFs around the country, around the world, other ones? So, um, so I contacted Tim Strait, who's the founder of HDIF in Armenia. He's actually, um, he, his specialty is uh, refugee relief. And he came to Armenia um, trying to uh, find housing for refugees in the early 2000s, and he actually stayed. Um, so I contacted Tim about six years ago, and I said, I love what you guys do. Um, I'm looking for something that I can really sink my teeth into. Do you think there's a place for me in your organization? And he came back and said, we're looking for an official distributor in the United States and, um, and possibly someone who can set up a 501c3 in the U.S. so that we can get donations that to the donor would be tax deductible. And I said, I can totally do that. I, can, mm -hmm. I know that I can do that. So that's kind of how we started. And, um, and, and, you know, again, we started this 501c3, we're getting tax deductible donations. We have a uh, charitable, a charitable arm to our organization. So once a year we do a, a charitable fund fundraising drive. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, they came, they came, I went to them and then they replied now in terms of what's going on around the world, we do have other distributors just recently who've come on board. One is in England, one is in Germany, uh, one's in Montreal, and one is in Australia. And you have just the United States, not North America. So you don't do Canada as well? No, because we've got the Montreal gal. Oh, yeah, you just said Montreal. We were on an incredibly strong upward trajectory just prior to COVID. Mm. we were doing amazingly well. We, you know, our brand name recognition was very high. We were, we were really on, you know, a positive upswing in terms of just, you know, kind of getting over that three year hump and taking off. And um, COVID just, you know, like everything else for everyone else cut us off at the knees. Mm. Um, and we really, I kind of feel like we've had to start all over again in some case, you know, in some respects, um, we did, yeah. we did quite well with, um, with COVID sales because of a few different factors. Um, I actually did a virtual, um, a virtual festival from our dining room where I laid out like all of the products and Tim and I kind of went around the table and went around the dining room table. And we, you know, talked about all the different products and did this virtual festival. And that created a great deal of, um, of viewership and new clients based on people seeing our virtual festival. Uh, because at that time, you know, there was nothing happening. Now I'm back, just getting back to festivals where I'm going and uh, having a booth and exhibiting my products. Um, but, you know, it's really a shame because all that work those first three years has kind of been, you know, it's kind of on set aside. We sort of have to start over again. Um, you know, COVID really made people get creative, right? And it, it, there's that was actually a positive thing. Uh, 
as a result of COVID is people had to pivot and get creative and like do something completely new. Uh, are you against doing both virtual festivals for those people that just can't get to, you know, I know you're doing, well, if you're going to, are you going to uh, consumer events or are you going to business to business events or both? Consumer. Okay. So why wouldn't you do both and have the, have the festival, the virtual festival for the people that can't get to wherever, you know, you are live? Well, I, that's, you know, that's what I, I, I'm planning on doing is, you know, once we've got, you know, these booths set up in these, at these different venues, you know, it's just doing a video recording or Facebook live or whatever, and, you know, highlighting some of the products that we have and, and then posting it and, you know, getting some more, um, you know, some more hits off of the video and sales and sales and hits and sales. Exactly. Yeah. I have one more question about the operations in Armenia, like your the lady you described that lives at the Georgian border. Is there a, a large number of people on the ground in Armenia that are combing these villages to find people? And then and then are there you said that they with your support, they recruited other people that she recruited other people in the village. How many people does that take to do all of that? I mean, it's basically, you know, HDIF in Armenia is, is kind of famous. Okay. <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, people who are in the handicrafts, they know about HDIF and we have more people coming to, to us, you know, wanting to engage with us than, you know, than we can accommodate. But there's also, you know, some rules that we have in place. You have to be registered with the government as a legal entity in order to work with us. The mm -hmm. reason for that is that we are a World Fair Trade certified organization and and there's no under the table, you know, business transactions taking place. Um, and some people don't want to register with the government. They want to continue their kind of under the table work. And so that excludes them automatically. You know, these, the people who come, who want to work with us have to follow and abide by what is laid out in the 10 principles of fair trade with the World Fair Trade Organization. So that's a really important piece. Um, so people come to us in the beginning, Tim would, you know, Tim in his refugee work would meet people all over the country, you know, in a variety of different locations. And so he would, he would bring people into the organization and, um, and, you know, do more training than we do now. Um, at this point, sometimes we find the new people, sometimes people recommend we meet these new people, um, and sometimes they come to us. Got it. Fantastic. So for the viewers and listeners, how, um, what's the best thing they can do to help support HDIF? The best thing to do is, is to help us fulfill our mission, which is job creation, you know, for underserved, underprivileged um, women who have seen their fair share of hardship in their lives. And they're really trying to give their kids a better life than they have. So the best thing to do is to buy our products online. The website is www.hdifusashop.com. Again, that's hdifusashop.com. And buy our products and share our mission with other people. And um, if you love our products, tell your friends about it and, and spread the word. That would be awesome.
So during COVID, you had that one Christmas ornament with the COVID mask yeah. sold out. And I yeah. love that. <laughs> oh my God. So, so COVID Santa, it was COVID Santa ornament. And um, it was my idea and I had them special make it for me in Armenia. And um, it was made in Barrett, which is um, actually very, very close to the Azerbaijani border, which is a very volatile area right now, very dangerous actually. Um, they made the COVID Santas there and I, I had to remake, have those remade multiple times. And then lo and behold, COVID was around the following year. So I reordered them again and sold them again. I mean, I thought it was just going to be this like very one year seasonal item. And unfortunately it turned out to be a two year seasonal item and it was very, very well received. So you're going to have monkey pox Santa this no. year. <laughs> Every year gross. you're going to have like a different weird yeah, Santa. Yeah, a different <laughs> pandemic Santa. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. So um, wrapping up, is there anything else that you would like to share about HDIF or have we covered all the bases? I mean, I think we've covered all the bases. You know, it's a labor of love as all are non all nonprofits. Um, but, you know, we know that we have an important purpose to fulfill, an important mission to fulfill. And, um, and everyone, I mean, what's great about HDIF and HDIF USA and being involved in this kind of sector is that it's a happy thing, mm. you know, I mean, it's a happy thing. People love to shop and, you know, buy products that are going to help other people. Um, they, our products are beautiful and useful and, and, you know, it's, it's, there's always something to be upbeat and happy about in this kind of, in this sector. I love it. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm so damn proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> it's really awesome. That right back at you, sis. Oh, thanks. <laughs> for, for exactly this reason, for this great program that you've got going. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. I, you know, what's so funny is that Beth's probably never seen my podcast and I had no, okay. And I, had like it took this interview for me to get the full download on what what you do because <laughs> we have so many other problems to solve oh, we have so many balls in the air <laughs> family balls in the air family balls in the air oh yeah. my god so everybody thank you for uh welcoming my sister beth brosillian to the show and beth thanks a lot and uh maybe i'll see you very very soon hopefully great <laughs> yeah all right thank you. so thank you and that's a wrap and this is caroline with the connected caroline show make it a giving day thanks for listening to this episode of the connected caroline show if you're gaining value from these conversations please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends you can also follow us on facebook and instagram and watch the video of this interview on YouTube, all at Connected Caroline. For more tools, resources, and the latest news, and to subscribe, please visit us at our website, connectedcaroline.com.